welcome to Three Cops Talk. On this podcast, three active duty police officers discuss behind the scenes stories and real life accounts of what it's like to be a cop. Every episode, you'll get an inside look at the challenges and dangers they face on a daily basis, as well as the triumphs and inspirational moments that make it all worth it. If you want to understand more about the men and women who put their lives on the line for us every day, then this is the show for you. And now your hosts, Chris, Scott, and Sean. In the sex trade, it has often been said that prostitution is the oldest known profession and that pimping ain't easy. However, both modern-day technology and mindset has definitely added to the demands placed upon its victims while making it much easier for traffickers to practice. On this episode, we're joined by a retired 25-year police veteran and domestic sex trafficking expert, Heidi Chance of Chance Consulting. You'll hear that Heidi is tireless in her mission to increase awareness and combat all aspects of sex trafficking in the United States. If you have any ideas or topics for the show, please reach out to us at 3copstalk at gmail.com. That's the number 3copstalk at gmail.com. The views and opinions expressed in this episode belong solely to the hosts and do not represent the views of any professional organization. Thanks for listening and we hope you enjoy the show. Hey, Scooter, without Chris again, we're without him. Not, not without him. I mean, without him physically, yeah, well, but he's, he's always, he's, he's omnipresent. He's here in heart. He's, you know, he's celebrating his 30th wedding anniversary. Congratulations. Him and Deb. Deb. Deb didn't come on and do the show like the wives did, but Deb is real. She's she is real. Real. Uh, real. And for 30 years, they've been together. So we want to hat tip to them. Like I always joke about, I was like, Chris is one marriage. My two don't even add up in time to that yet. You know, you're getting there. Talk you're getting there. Are you a cop really if you don't have a divorce or two? Right, right. I'm, I'm working. You know, like Chris hits the home run in the first one. So that all being said, a lot of work that we did, we worked together, you and I did a lot of prostitution things when we were in our vice unit. And, you know, prostitution has seemed to have morphed itself into something way bigger, bigger than what we were dealing with like 15, 10 years ago uh, when we were doing this work. And, you know, the, the advent of the internet and how people accessed people, we were like, this is crazy how quickly this is moving. Because it used to be, you know, like when I was a little kid, because I'm older than dirt, I was like, you literally had to go to a place where girls stood on a corner. Like I always thought it was just like, you know, taxi driver. Remember the movie, <laughs> right. Taxi Driver? Talking to me. And Jodie Foster was the uh, the girl that he was the vigilante mm-hmm. for, so to speak. There's a lot of big name actors in that movie. And back then I thought that that was offensive, but it doesn't even hold a candle to what technology is doing for this right now. And then what you're constantly inundated with, what's real, what's fake, what's politically driven, what's the cause from bad political decisions and global economies and everything else that we went to. And honestly, just the access of getting information and the hyper sexualization of everything we do. And you can just pick up a phone and look at it. And nobody's really stopping. Well, yeah. And I think it, 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 when we were doing this stuff years ago, it was more of the like, small time prostitution working out of hotels you know mm-hmm. either people going to the hotels or or girls coming to meet you at a hotel or an apartment and that was probably the 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 high time of the the back page days when back page and, and craigslist yeah. was like right. the things it was like oh my right. god you can just go on this on this website the same place i can buy a used lawnmower i can find a, a prostitute and right. so it right. was like that kind of stuff but and and I think we did, even when we were doing those lower level cases, there were times that we would come across 
people, females typically, that were that were we probably knew or not probably we knew that they were involved in some kind of lifestyle like this where they were probably not doing it of of their own choice, but they had drug problems or problems at home or you know what I mean a lot of the things that led them to that. And how many times did we have girls that we interviewed that said, you know, well, this pimp, he, you know, he gives me drugs. I stay with him. He buys me clothes. He takes care of me, gets my hair done. You know, they're, they're being forced into this lifestyle, but they would never, they, it was, it was so hard for them to break away from it. And we didn't really have a lot of resources back then. I mean, we have social workers and, and social workers really come a long way with offering more avenues to help Roles with that because as the prostitution thing kind of evolved, we we got those social services and 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 lo- and local state services involved to help them. But I, I think we were maybe seeing a little bit of it then, and we probably just didn't really know what maybe the bigger issue was. But now the things that we see, and even things that I've cases that I've been involved in just in the last couple of years, some of these these things that are that are obvious trafficking, and 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 they're just. They're out there and they're kind of just below the radar, but even in communities all around, you know, suburbs of Chicago, even where, where I'm at, this is going, this kind of stuff is going on. And it's, it's really kind of scary um, when you really start scratching the surface of this and seeing what kinds of things are going on out there. And again, there's a whole bunch of things that you can take into consideration for this. And we've been trying to do some shows on this because, you know, there needs to be some general awareness, not just amongst the public, but also amongst cops. You'd be surprised about how many young, newer cops we're getting right now that have no concept of what this is about. Because, you know, in order to meet a girl when I was a young man, I had to do a lot of things to make that happen. And I still fail miserably (laughs) often at it. But the bottom line is, like, you, you didn't, like, just text somebody and then all of a sudden you were getting naked pictures of them because of what these devices allow right. for us and stuff like that. You literally had to work really, really hard and your end game was maybe 70, 30, like 70, I might get a kiss, uh, 30, I'm definitely, maybe that's my average. You know, those are the kind of things that you looked at. And again, it's just like, look, you got to understand the realities of what drives our world and sex is a big part of this. And men are usually in a, you know, pursuit manner. And unfortunately, like what we saw, Scott, women were definitely the ones that were the victims of this in a lot of cases, whether it was economic desperation, whether they were vulnerable, things like that. But guess what? We didn't have helping us on our side so much. Women in law enforcement, like women in law enforcement is definitely going to give us a different perspective on this as to like, you can't think like a man when you're dealing with a woman that has to view something that's supposed to be intimate as something that she has to kind of share with everyone in order to survive. That is a dynamic that it took me a little while to figure out with that. And it really changed my my perspective on a lot of those things. But I was searching around, we've been searching around as a, as a uh, podcast for some really great guests. And this is honestly about three months in the making of me trying to hunt down this expert <laughs> because she's so damn busy. And that's good. When I was reading up on her stuff, I'm like, we're going to wait this out no matter what. Like I waited out my last wife. But she also blonde. <laughs> <laughs> your, your, your odds are going up. Yeah. You're doing your yeah, right, things are right. improving. It's good. Personally and professionally. I have not begun to project my anger onto you. So our guest today is named Heidi Chance. She's a 25-year veteran of law enforcement that has dedicated much of herself to combating sex trafficking. Uh, You'll see that she's a subject matter expert in this field based upon her extensive field work, investigations, and courtroom testimony. Heidi, thanks for being here today. We really appreciate you taking time out of your day to talk with us about this. Well, thank you so much for having me on. Um, I am definitely... um, 
I've experienced a lot of what what you guys are talking about working in a vice unit. Um, I started with uh, my agency working as an undercover after already being an officer for 10 years. Um, I think what led me to that is an incident where I was a school resource officer and you know how we don't get to keep the car. You have to return the car to the station every day. And it was a middle school that I was an officer at. And um, I saw one of my former students in the juvenile holding area. And she recognized me because we knew each other from when she was in seventh grade. And I, you know, kind of asked her, well, why are you in trouble? And she was explaining to me um, that she was in custody for prostitution. Um, And actually, back then, this was a long time ago, um, and I'll talk about relationships in a second with the victims. Um, but diff- she she was in custody and in trouble for prostitution. And it just blew my mind, even though I had already been a cop for six, seven, eight years already, that yeah. young people, because she was only 17 on that day, young people are getting involved in, in this. And unfortunately, since I've been doing it, when I first started 15 years old was about the age that victims fall into this. Now it's lowered to even closer to 11. And so it is really, really important to get awareness out, not only to law enforcement, but to parents um, to start having conversations with kids, talking about strangers on devices, on their games, on the phones, on the apps, on open profiles, on social media, and really having those conversations so they can protect themselves. Because There are tools out there for parents as far as devices, apps you can put on the phone for parental, you know, lock this down, don't let them. But these kids, you know, they've been given a phone since they were two years old at a restaurant to occupy them. And they're going to figure out how to bypass those things. So it takes more than just putting an app on their device or, um, you know, putting an app on their computer. You're going to actually need to be involved as a parent in their life making them strong and aware of strangers and of potential predators coming into um, their world through their phone and their computer and their game. So, um, but anyway, so moving on from that, after meeting that young girl, um, you know, I really got involved with the vice unit at the time. I started working as a decoy, still working as a school resource officer, but on my weekends, I would go with them and shadow and, you know, it was the, what you were describing, the hotel operations, female officers coming from patrol so they can have new faces um, posing as prostitutes. Um, we did a lot with, um, you know, this is back in 2007 when I started doing that. So we did a lot on the street as far as street prostitution. And we did a lot of bring them up to the hotel room. But the actual advertising and creating ads as a decoy, that didn't happen until I was assigned to the unit. And back then it was Backpage and the adult services section of Craigslist. Um, And that was, um, you know, a whole thing for several years until 2018, I believe it was, when the SESTA-FOSTA Act was signed by President Trump. And someone had to do something, obviously, because this platform was facilitating sex trafficking for sure. Um, and <clears throat> taking that, you know, that platform down created a situation where, unfortunately, all these other websites that are not in the United States popped up and they allow currently for the means of these ads to be posted. And we can't subpoena or, um, you know, send them a search warrant because they don't care. They're not in the United <laughs> States. So they're not going to comply. Right. 
Um, right. However, things are changing with it's no longer a cash business as much as it was. And these uh, these traffickers are using Venmo and Chime and Cash App and, you know, those kind of money service businesses to have their girls send money to them and receive that money. So there is follow up that we as an investigator can do to um, figure out who these people are and follow the money in that regard. But yeah, definitely I spent almost 14 years in the vice unit that turned into the human exploitation and trafficking unit and um, worked very hard targeting traffickers and sex buyers most of my latter half of my career. Kind of like we were saying, it started with those smaller things. Where did you see it start expanding to? Was it going, uh, it was, it was going more to like the online and all these different apps. Um, how, how, would you keep up with that stuff or what did you guys do? You know, cause you know how it is like, you got to be pretty tech savvy with that stuff. And there's always that new thing that's coming up. So would you guys, you know, did you, would you get information from girls that you got out of this lifestyle? Did they help you get information? Was it more, you just doing stuff on your own or kind of a combination? Yeah, I, I would say a combination of those two things. It was definitely um, when I first started doing the shadow before I even uh, transferred to the unit, that's when we first started doing operations where we're posting our own ads and having sex buyers come to our hotel room. Um, and, you know, I'm sure that that was because Backpage was the place to go. But for when Backpage switched, if you guys are familiar with the documentary Sex Trafficking in America, Frontline PBS, that's the documentary yep. I'm in, and that is where um, they followed our unit for three years. And in following us, um, one of the three Super Bowls that we've hosted in our area happened during that time, and Backpage was taken down during that time. And so they kind of actually, in the movie, talk about how we you know, scrambled to find out where the market went. Um, initially, it went straight to the streets. And the street prostitution increased. But then later we were finding um, through our own research and our own experience and being on these, you know, web pages all the time, which apps were leading in, um, you know, the ads. And so that's where we were able to determine the popular apps that the buyers use. There are so many. It's kind of overwhelming. Um, and they all use different platforms. Some of them have you know, different things tied to them, like location services has to be on, which affects our undercover operations. Um, right. You know, those kind of things also increased in, in um, you know, having to make us evolve to those apps as well and respond, um, you know, in the same way, but better as far as uh, how we act and, and uh, do our undercover operations. It's, it's funny that you say that, I because... I remember when Scott and I were working together doing this stuff, and this was a while ago, I used to say narcotics units attract and vice units attract a certain level of officer, and it's usually not techies. Yeah. You know what I mean? It's usually not those folks. It was very aggressive work. It's like you're literally like- There's usually one guy. This is, yeah, point blank range, right? There's one guy. And I used to say, you know, we should have like a total support unit that that's all they do is support us in this stuff because we used to we used to not laugh, but we'd be like, like scratching our heads, like we always say on this show, laugh to keep from crying. Like it's fish in a barrel. We could go out in a single night and pull down like 
one night we did like 20 heads. Like we brought in 20 people. Some of them were as young as 14. Some of them were, you know, as old as 60. And there was victims and Johns and all these other people. And he used to say, man, this technology, we can't keep up with it. It's so hard to develop a case and keep the case going. And then, you know, all of that stuff gets to court. And court goes, well, you don't have this, you don't have that. You know, there's off interviews and this person didn't talk or whatever. We know what was happening. We just, you know, from a probable cause, reasonable suspicion, proof beyond a reasonable doubt stuff, it got really, really hard with that tech. So it's like, again, yet again, another thing, we should be out actively recruiting people that are technologically advanced, compensating them properly, because this is a, like you said, this is not ending. It sounds like, you know, the, the you know, the little boy with the finger in the dam, like I pull one out here and it's just going to spring somewhere else. You know what I mean? And <laughs> like you're the a- little girl that's doing that. You know what I mean? And, and it's huge. Yeah, it's definitely a situation where, you know, we've evolved. And like I said, we've changed our behavior. In fact, when I first started in the vice unit, we were only arresting prostitutes. Right. Right? And so moving and changing and recognizing that these um, individuals might be victims is part of that evolution that I experienced. And I think simultaneously, all law enforcement experienced that because that's where the human trafficking movement really came to surface is recognizing um, these individuals as victims. Um, To supplement that, my agency actually created a victim advocate that was assigned to our squad, which is very unique. As I travel around, I speak and present, and I don't have a lot of agencies that have that going on. And it was very unique because we could have that victim advocate with us at two o'clock in the morning when we're doing an operation where we're having our male detectives pose as buyers. We're still doing that. But when we have them in custody, we actually ask the question we were never asking before. What can we do to get you out of this? What can we do to help you? Right. And then we introduce them to the victim advocate. They confidentially go sit aside. If they choose to get resources, get out of the life, we're going to help them. And this victim advocate had um, access to bus passes, uh, plane tickets, the back line to shelters. So really, as a team, it's just not law enforcement anymore by ourselves doing this because it's so overwhelming. Having those placements is really important so that we can actually help a person that we're telling them that we want to help them. And having all of that set up Actual resources Um, to give them as opposed to just saying we want to help you, not just getting you out of here in the moment, something beyond that, like some follow-up, where can we get you to? How can we, maybe we can get you Mm -hmm. back to some family. Maybe, you know what I mean? Like putting those things. And that takes money and that takes, (laughs) um, you know, placements and things set up and other organizations that are not law enforcement. And we really need Mm -hmm. to recognize this. I think they call it a multidisciplinary team of law enforcement, non-governmental organizations, and even funding to make this actually be a workable system where agencies are at least making some headway with the problem. Um, So, and that's also to repair the relationship because these traffickers are telling victims, the cops are just going to arrest you. And that's exactly what we were doing before. Yeah. And so- Doing that in the moment of our contact with them, with the police car and the uniforms and, you know, the undercovers and everything in that moment, giving them that choice and opportunity. There are times when we still have individuals that, um, you know, we've given that opportunity to and then we come in contact with them again. Yeah. And then now we have to take an enforcement action and 
you know, that is where we can say and, and justify that we've tried to help them. We've tried to get them out of the life. At this point, it's actually a choice, it seems. And they're not ready to leave and be rescued. And now they're going to have to be held responsible because yeah. we still have a duty to the community. They have, especially this residential area where our main known area for prostitution is. It's called the track or the blade. My blade in this in this area is full of homes. People live there. There are schools. There's businesses. And they do not want people having sex in a vehicle in front of their house or condoms thrown in their mm-hmm. front yard. And so we do right. have to work both sides of this and still take enforcement action. But we at least are recognizing when it is a, a moment for a victim to be rescued, we are there and we have it all set up. So did you, I got to ask you when, when you were as, cause it sounds like you, your agency was very good about advancing this program and, and getting more people involved. I know that what happens with a lot of police departments is that you'll get pushback because the community will say, oh, why are you wasting your time on things like, you know, not the whole community, but people yeah. within the community yeah. will say, why are you wasting your time on, on prostitution? It's the oldest profession. Don't you cops have something to better to do? You know, and, and, and I think anybody that's ever done prostitution related work has heard that from, from somebody from a boss or, or a chief or something at some business, point. Business, business owners don't want the negative right, notoriety. Yeah. And they, so they definitely don't. Did you ever encounter that or what kind of things did you do to be able to like push past that hurdle of, let me tell you why this is important and that there's really a much bigger thing going on here? Yeah. Well, I think our agency is the leading agency in, you know, fighting this problem. But I think part of that is because we involve other non-governmental organizations because they have the community support and they actually will come to battle for us, Um, especially when we have the issue of we don't have enough cops to answer 911 calls. Um, When I first started, my agency had 3,200 officers and we're the fifth largest city in the United States, by the way. Right now, I just saw a um, memorandum from our union. There's only 2,500 officers. Jeez. And only about a thousand working in patrol right now. And so huh. even in my 14 years, there were times, there was three year period where we didn't have enough officers for 911. And so they were offering supplemental overtime for detectives. So I was working my regular detective job. And then in the evenings, I'd almost do a double shift or I would work the weekends and get, I was in my high three. I was getting, um, you know, my, <laughs> my pension ready, yeah. um, working patrol. And so definitely it's an issue of, you know, manpower and, and, um, that, and, and there were threats to eliminate squads, to send detectives back to patrol period. And those community organizations came to bat for us and recognize how important this problem is for the whole community to save, you know, those positions. And that was really great because otherwise we would not be making the impact that we were. And that speaks well to you guys. Cause like, as much as it's like the pace of that work is just relentless. Like you'd start a shift and go, Hey, we're doing that stuff tonight. And you'd look down at your watch and be like, yeah, we got like 30 minutes and we're still going to get four hours more worth of overtime. And you know, you couldn't do that all the time because there were so many other things you had to deal with. But, but the thing that was, that's, that's wild about that is that people like recognized the importance of that. were willing to say like, cause you know how it is like, Oh, your cops are getting paid too much overtime. You're, you know, you're doing this, you're doing that for people to come forward and step forward and say those kind of things. Like we as a profession can lose faith in people really quickly and we can lose faith in humanity doing 
prostitution work. I remember mm-hmm. some of those days were just you see what these young women particularly were dealing with and you think to yourself like this is the United States how can this be happening and it's happening and you know great for that but some of the things that I think confuse people about this Heidi is like how it's portrayed in the media as well as you know Hollywood and both of those organizations right now have some tough standing. I think they're in worse shape than cops were. Like cops complain a lot of like, nobody likes us anymore. But when you look how we poll as a profession, particularly you know, people doing what you're doing, have people come out and, and support you like that. How does that impact our work? Like this idea, like I go back to like movies like Taxi Driver I was talking about earlier. And then I think about Taken and, you know, all these kind of films. And then the recent one with Jim Caviezel, you know, uh, all, all that stuff, like where they just kind of throw at that. And then you got this idea that there's this group of very rich and powerful and influential people that are participating in the process almost as like the Johns, you know, really, really rich Johns, like the Epstein type thing, so to speak. Like who are all the famous and powerful people that are not really doing what they need to by not shutting the board or really addressing these things? Like what are your thoughts on that? Yeah. So long-winded question, by the way. First, first of all, um, definitely Sound of Freedom, the, the most recent movie based on true stories, but not fully a true story, is it's doing its job. It's getting human trafficking in the back of everyone's mind, which is really great. No matter the drama with, you know, Tim Ballard and whatever's going on there, um, it's getting people to think about trafficking. The only perception that is what I want to clarify is that's international trafficking that's depicted in that movie. In the documentary mm-hmm. that was done on my unit, Sex Trafficking in America, that came out in May of 2019, that is domestic sex trafficking, what's happening here in the United States every day, all day long in our community. And I don't want it to get confused with, you know, um, the abductions and the kidnappings and things that, that were shown in that movie. What's happening here in America is the white van is literally right here. This is the white van. Um, the fall. Right. Yeah, that is right. how your child's right. going to get um, lured away or abducted. It's through the devices, through the computer, through the phone, through the technology um, that, you know, we all try and, uh, you know, cling to every day. And so yeah. really that's, that's where um, the concern is. And um, you know, our, our documentary really gives a good picture of some of the undercover operations that we do to target traffickers and sex buyers Um, You see me on the phone with a trafficker that's trying to recruit and groom me as an undercover. Um, And that's another part of our evolution is we're trying to be on the devices also in undercover capacity. I have six Facebooks, three Instagrams, Tag, Meet Me, Bumble, Plenty of Fish, Snapchat, all of the apps in undercover Mm -hmm. personas. And traffickers know we're there, but they, you know, they have... This is their job all day long is recruiting and grooming new victims and managing the ones that they have. And so they're constantly recruiting. And if I can catch one and engage with them and satisfy the elements of a pandering, um, then I'm going to extradite them from another state. I'm going to go after them financially now. That's the other evolution that we've done is we're now looking at these traffickers for money laundering, illegal enterprise, because the reality of the situation is, is a lot of our cases don't actually go through the justice system to a, a, a plea or even trial because our victims fall off. Our victims right. don't want to go to court, have it be continued, go to court again, pay the parking fee, have to have a ride to court, 
it's good, gets continued. Yep. I mean, that goes on one, two, three. I had one case go five years of continue, continue, continue before it went to trial. And especially adult victims, they're not going to stick around for that. And so um, it's really a lot of issues with our prosecutors are offering bullshit pleas because they have to mm-hmm. move the case along and they know that victim's going to dip out. And then that yep. trafficker can traffic again. In my career, I've arrested, re-arrested at least three traffickers that went to prison, got out, trafficked again. This time it was a juvenile, or this time we went after them financially and had stricter penalties, and now they're in jail and prison for hundreds of years. Um, so it's just a, a combination of, you know, we need more people, actually. If, if people are pissed off about what's going on in the United States, then become a law enforcement officer, become a prosecutor, become a judge and actually do something about it instead of bitch about it. Well, and one of that, that's a big piece that you're talking about the financial, because I know that even it goes back to dope cases and stuff too. You, like you said, sometimes these cases, they get pled down to something and you're like, how, how is this even getting pled down to this? But if you can hit those people that are creating those criminal enterprises financially, that, that at least helps to slow it down or, or, you know, or potentially stop it. I know that that was when you talk about like all the people that have to be involved in these kinds of things, um, a case that I was involved in a, a huge piece in that just in the last couple of years was the financial angle of it to the point where we actually had financial crimes detectives that were a huge piece mm-hmm. of this operation. I mean, they're familiar with the the background of the the prostitution and the trafficking, but just to be able to be dedicated to the financial angle of it, to try to hit these people where it hurts and, and seize their money, seize their assets, seize yeah, their property so that they the can't run these businesses. I mean, that's, that's a big part of it. And, and you again, you'll get people who say, oh, you're just in it. You're just doing it, you know, so that your departments can seize all these people's money. No, the, the, it's, it's a twofold approach. Like there has to be the legal consequences. And if you can hit them in the financial side too, so that to try to prevent or slow their legal operations, that's a big piece of it too. And I don't know that people always maybe see yeah, it that that's way, but it's one huge. Of the, one of the classes that I teach when I do support an agency is how to invest, not only just investigate a child sex trafficking case or an undercover case where you have a decoy female officer posing as um, the victim. And then also coinciding with that, a case following the money. And there are websites like Traffic Jam and Spotlight, which agencies subscribe to and and pay for that collect data from all of these websites with the ads so that I can just log into Traffic Jam, plug in the phone number that I'm looking for, and it'll show me all the ads. It'll show me where she's advertising. It'll show me all her photos. And then I can take that information and then go to the other database that, um, uh, Arizona, actually, the attorney general's office sued Western Union. And in that lawsuit, it opened up a system where we can subpoena monthly all the money service businesses. So when you have a trafficker that has girls on automatic, yeah. where they're literally in another state wiring money to their trafficker, if it's, mm. if it's going on that way, we can actually take that phone number that we know, plug it into track, which is what that system's called, and pop up with all the times this pimp has received money from this girl and we have him identified because that's his true information linked to his bank account where that money was received. 
and we can do a financial investigation that way. So I teach a whole class. That's huge. With yeah. a case study where I show how I yeah. did this, ah. where a trafficker got sentenced to 108 years in prison. One That's victim, 11 counts, guilty on all, but some of those counts were the illegal enterprise money laundering. And that trafficker was one that I had arrested in 2014, pimping a different juvenile. She turned 18 and dipped out to California, never to be heard of again until this case that happened in 2019. And she was now a suspect of mine as an adult victim still, or adult person still working with and for him. And, um, you know, finally got him. Like I had him and then I had to go after him again. Yeah. Because they don't go away. And then the other dynamic with all of this that I want to really put out there is just because they're in jail awaiting trial or even in prison, they now have not only phone calls, video visits, but they have the damn tablets. And when they're <laughs> yeah, on the tablets, right. they're they're getting access. I don't know how they're doing this or what restrictions are out there, but there's not enough because I literally am talking to that same trafficker. And my other undercover, and he's in prison. I know he's in prison. I put him there. And he doesn't know who he's talking to. And he's trying to ask me to put money on his prison books. So that same trafficker also from jail had a whole house of prostitution he was running from jail. And that was added charges. So they don't stop. And really, these tablets are providing the means for them to continue business, even though they're in prison. Um, So that's a whole other problem. Yeah, I mean, it's like us as usual as a profession, law enforcement, corrections, all of us were behind the power curve as usual. Like we're playing catch up to everything that they're figuring out. Like we got to give them tablets because they got to be occupied and they got to reform themselves. But we don't go away. And he's going to use this to actually be better at what he did before because now there's no other distractions. Correct. Like they say the pimping ain't easy. We just made pimping easy. Right. One of the things you'd mentioned that I just want to talk about here real quick too, Heidi, is ordinary police officer dealing with something on the street. Uh, parents, people, you know, somebody that runs a hotel, somebody that runs a business, whatever. What are some of the things that you could say if I could pick the typical victim of this, meaning like a person like you said, like, you know, that goes back and continues to do this work or whatever. Could you kind of describe that person to us if that's even possible? Yeah. So um, there's indicators, definitely indicators. I have a whole list on my website um, that can be downloaded and used for future reference. But if it's a like a hospitality hotel person, I would say the trafficker is going to send the girl in to get the room because they don't want to put it in their name or they booked online, but they're going to send them in to check in. And when they come in, when, when you see them, there are some things physically that you can notice about them and take note to, like if they're dressed to attract, if, you know, it seems like they've traveled a lot. Um, uh, let's say they bring their purse up on the counter and they've got multiple other hotel keys that they pull out while they're trying to find their debit card. Um, if right. they have a brand, so you guys are watching Yellowstone. Who doesn't watch Yellowstone? Oh yeah, right. Yeah, yeah, right. They're just yeah, like totally. um, the you know the farmers brand their cows, traffickers brand their girls, and so let's say two or three girls come in to check in at the hotel, and they all have the same or similar tattoo or this same pimp's name on them. Hello, that's a huge indicator. Right. Yeah. Um, you know that right. that might be right. a trafficking situation, yeah. and you know right. the hospitality business—they're a business, and they you know are probably going to rent that room. But do they know you, who at the human trafficking unit to call about this yeah, potential right. people who just checked into right. the hotel? Because if they just call patrol, right. patrol is not going to really know what's up. They're going to be like, um, send that number to call back. They can write a report or whatever, but we're not going to send an officer out. 
Um, so those are, those are just some things. Um, you know, there's a lot of indicators out there in other dynamics. Like I do a lot of training also to hospitals because this is very violent crime. Ah, and, right. um, you know, a lot of the victims end up in the emergency room and for hospital oh, staff yeah. to recognize, you know, when a victim comes in and someone's trying to leave with their property or leave with their phone or control what's being said or answer questions for the victim instead of when you're talking to the victim, they're not answering the question. The person with them, male or female, could be the, um, you know, the other girl that's like the main loyal girl to the pimp that, you know, is there on purpose to make sure that, number one, she doesn't snitch. And number two, nothing said that indicates law enforcement's on, on, on its way. So, you know, recognizing those things going on just in that initial emergency room contact with the victim that's coming in um, is huge also. And, and um, you know, gathering the DNA evidence, gathering the video surveillance, not letting their property leave. All of those things are super important for our investigations because these cases are really hard to prove. Really, right. really hard. I'm not going to have a witness that sees this individual have sex with somebody, make money, and then turn that money over to their trafficker. So we have to use cooperative evidence to be able to put these cases together. And usually it's way after the fact, like that one case with the 108 years, my victim, the juvenile, she did not disclose what was, what was happening until five months later. And I had to start the whole case through the assistance of a survivor victim advocate that was working with her to build trust with her that she could talk to law enforcement. It took five months. And then I started the investigation backwards. Um, it can be done. But it's a lot of work, and that's the other thing. Do we have a lot of officers out there that are willing to put in that work, that are passionate about this, that their agency supports them, taking the time to do all this follow-up, go to hotels, serve subpoenas, all this stuff? Well, even just um, as short as we are on staffing in this profession, to yeah. your point, like everywhere around the country, agencies are are short. <laughs> Unfortunately, we're, we're short officers everywhere. So there's some of those things that maybe um, – 10, 15 years ago, 20 years ago, when you were, you did have more staffing, maybe as a, as a newer uh, officer that was looking to do something investigative, you might've maybe had an opportunity to put a little more time into that just as a, as a patrol yeah. officer. And now maybe you're, you know, under the gun a little bit more to, Hey, get, get the information that you can and, you know, do what you can with it in a short period of time. And, hand it off to investigations or something like that, you might not even be getting that time. So I, it sounds like, and I was going to ask you next about your business, but it sounds like your, your business has put something together that really can help agencies um, teach them about this kind of stuff and maybe start seeing what they can you know, look into in their community when they're, when they're seeing those kinds of things. So how did this, when did your, when did your business start or how did you start it and, and, and where are you at now? Yeah, so I retired in October of 2021, and I'm still working for a law enforcement agency now. I'm a special agent. Um, but coinciding with that, my agency allows me to continue training. Um, I actually still am contracted through um, the National Criminal Justice Training Center, Fox Valley um, Technical College, the Amber Alert Program. So I travel all over the United States teaching for them. But I also, I don't get enough. So I, I, I created my own business, um, a chance for awareness with two missions, one community awareness. So I have a course on my website. Um, I have an Instagram, 
a chance for awareness with like the underscore between each word. Um, because I'm constantly, obviously there's new things all the time, like the Instagram situation going on right now where that video is going out about those two officers responding to a house at a, you know, midnight, the father called because the 11 year olds being solicited to send nude pictures and the officers telling the father that the juvenile could go to jail. Yes. Some states have sexting, but recognizing that's actually a child predator. How about let's get that That phone. I just saw that for the first time two days ago and it, yeah. In that, unfortunately, in that clip, it doesn't. It doesn't, doesn't look sound good. good. No, it doesn't. <laughs> it's really bad. It's, yeah, um, so hopefully, bad. that's not yeah, the real maybe, deal, and hopefully, right, they went right, back yeah, and said, right, "Actually, we right, made a yeah, mistake." Yeah, we really should. Yeah, maybe follow up on that. Yeah, yeah but right. uh, but that's part of the community awareness, and obviously, I have people reacting to situations that happen daily like that, oh, sure. um, and that everything that we do is out on Instagram now. So. Um, that's that side of it. And then my other part of my, my business is consulting and coaching, training law enforcement agencies. So I have, you know, several classes that I offer, obviously human trafficking 101. In 1998, when I was in the police academy, I did not get a human trafficking class. Did you guys? No. No. Absolutely. Yeah. No. And that's part of the problem Absolutely not right. is we have patrol right. that doesn't even know or see or recognize human trafficking. I actually play a video when I do that class of a pimp bragging, doing like a, you know, Facebook live, look at me, look at me with, you know, five patrol cars in the parking lot dealing with whatever they're dealing with. But he's bragging about the officers not seeing him. And he's like throwing money on the floor and screaming at his prostitute. And it's all about him knowing that the cops don't see him. And that's a problem for me. <laughs> I really want to, you know, have patrol start recognizing these guys when they pull over a vehicle. You know, it's not just a traffic stop. Or if they go to a loud, loud noise complaint at a hotel, it might be more than that when you right, walk right. in and see condoms and lubricant on the bed, nightstand and, you know, three girls and one guy in this hotel room hanging out. So recognizing those things. And then also I do a class on interviewing a child sex trafficking victim because that's a definite different type of interview. Oh yeah, for sure. And I'm a forensic interviewer as well. Um, So having the understanding of terminology used in this situation, I mean, I used one term, the track or the blade, but there's, I have a whole glossary of terms um, also available for law enforcement and interview questions. I've created a whole interview questions, Um, but I like to teach first before I pass that out because I want to explain why I use those questions Um, and what happens in court, because I have been in many, many trials and I've only lost one. Um, and that was a undercover deal that, um, you know, the, it was an unfortunate situation. George Floyd had just been, um, killed and it was more racially. The jury saw it as a racial thing instead of the crime that actually happened. Um, but having all of that experience, I want to share with officers you know, what goes wrong in a trial, what you really need to focus on, those kind of things. And so um, that's put, I have a class on putting a case together for successful prosecution. And then I have a class on interrogating trafficking suspects because that's a whole other dynamic also. Um, you would be surprised. I've had five hour interviews with traffickers. They actually talk. Um, yeah. Especially right. to a female because they see me as inferior to them. And so it's an advantage to have a female interview a trafficker, really, because they think that they're smarter like than bragging me. almost, yeah. Mm-hmm. And um, you know that's a tactical thing. 
But basically, um, and then I do a whole bunch of classes on undercover work, especially as a female, um, catfishing traffickers with those online social media accounts and, you know, the (sighs) dynamics of having a trafficker come to your hotel room where I'm in the room with the trafficker is way different than a sex buyer. And so, um, yeah, officer safety wise and everything else. So I, I have videos, like, I don't even know how many videos of, you know, instances where I just show and talk through what happened with this sex buyer or this trafficker. And, you know, I think that really shows what things could happen and it shows supervisors when we ask for certain things, and how, you know, these traffickers try and trip you to another location, down to the lobby, down to a car, all of those dynamics, if you're not set up operationally right. to move yeah. with right. the trafficker, you're not going to get this trafficker. Right. So, um, you know, making all of that happen for agencies is my other goal. Um, and then professionally speaking, um, you know, I am in demand for all of these conferences but unfortunately, these conferences right now aren't seeing, you know, cops with a lot of experience as a you know, right. commodity to compensate us for our time. I literally went to a conference the other day. I drove an hour to get there. I spent three hours there, drove an hour home, and I got a $25 Starbucks card on a Saturday on my day off. So uh, I really well. At least it's pumpkin season, so you got that going for you. I don't drink coffee. I know I'm one of those cops that doesn't drink coffee, but right, right. you know it's one of those things where um, you know these conferences are great, and I love training, but I need to be compensated, and I need conferences yeah. and, oh, yeah. and agencies. Yeah. And I mean, you're a wealth of knowledge. I mean, it's the value in it. Is, it's only it's, it's fair. Proof. I mean, proof. yeah, that's right. I'm at I'm at a financial loss you know, spending five hours and driving. Do you do your training all over the country or is it more in your region of the country? No, I, I'm um, available to go wherever, as long as my travel expenses are paid for and I'm compensated because <laughs> yeah, I right, do take off right. work to go do these trainings, you know? So, yeah, um, yeah. it's just a matter of getting recognized. Uh, Illinois doesn't have any money. We can only offer $25 <laughs> uh, Starbucks cards. You know, law enforcement agencies, if you want officers to get trained by people who have actually done it, you're going to need to start paying and start bringing in these, yeah. you know, these other companies who want to talk about, you know, racial equality and, you know, inclusion right. and all of those things. The agencies are paying for those civilians to come in, but they don't see an right. officer with right. experience coming in to do training as a commodity to compensate. And it's really, and she's not lying about that. Mm -hmm. You're not lying about that because like we've, you know, I've trained for seven years and we'd be like, Hey, can we bring this trainer? And like, sometimes I was hit with this phrase, like, Hey, do you think you could put them up? Like, what do you mean? Like at my house? (laughs) Like like at my house, I'm going home to my wife and say, Hey, Heidi's going to come stay with us for a week or so. So we can get this trainer. That would be cool. Don't get me wrong. But I was like, Heidi's like, I don't hang around with you. I mean, I want to train you, but like, and those are, those are realistic things that people say to us about this. Like, we would never settle for that, for training our warriors in the in the military Correct. world. But training people that are doing this stuff in the police world, those are the things we hear all the time. And then the other side of that is it's just, are people willing to basically say we're going to look a little bad for a little while because we've been sleeping, letting this happen in our town. And now these cops are out there addressing it and pushing it, even if it's pushing it somewhere else. You know, it, it, we people don't want to deal with that. They don't want to deal with the negative. It really hurts our standing in schools and mm-hmm. taxes and insurance and things like that. And meanwhile, like you said, eleven-year-olds, yeah, 
we're worrying about 11 year olds here in the United States for this. Yeah. So. And I think agencies don't realize how transient this actual crime is. Unlike other crimes, oh, yeah. drug dealers set up a house and they set up shop. Yeah. Um, traffickers are moving from city to city, state to state. One, because they don't yeah. want to get caught by police, but two, because they're trying to keep their victims isolated so that they don't get to know someone at a particular yeah. location they've been at for a while, because that normal person right. will tell their victim, hey, let me help you get away from this guy. I can help you. Yeah. They don't want that either. So you have to move quickly to react to this trafficker and get them in custody, do these interviews right away, pay that overtime. I've worked 36 hours straight before on a case because it came in after I fi finished my shift and I came back in to work and worked the whole case to the point where I got the bad guy booked into jail. And it, it takes paying officers and compensating us and giving us, you know, the ability. And the resources the that you need to do it. Yeah. Permission right. to, um, you know, work our case and do our job. So tell everybody one more time um, where they can find you, um, the, the, the company, all that info, phone number, email, anything that you want to provide to people. Yeah. So my website is achanceforawareness.com. And, um, basically I have the Instagram, a underscore chance, underscore four underscore awareness. Um, and then I'm really on LinkedIn. LinkedIn is huge, especially for law enforcement, especially for agencies to try and um, communicate with me about setting up training. I've done training virtually also. So that's an option too, as far as, you know, not coming to your house, Sean, um, <laughs> virtually. Damn. um but it is a, you know, obviously I I'm asking for my fee my training uh, fee, but I can do it virtually, or you can find me out there. I can go out there during your operation and help advise all of those things. So LinkedIn is just my name, Heidi Chance. And, um, you know, I, I'm very responsive to messages, um, you know, connection requests, all of those things. And you can see, you know, under my recommendations, I have lots of, you know, comments of people who have taken my training and, and my classes and, you know, I'm the real deal. <laughs> Very, yeah, no, it's it's yeah. it's great. I, I looked up everything on that, and it's it's awesome. If you want to get a hold of us about any of the stuff to follow up, and we can route you towards Heidi, please. You know how to get to us through our Gmail account, which is three cups talk at gmail.com. That's the number three cups talk at gmail.com. If you like this episode and listen to it, please share it with a friend anywhere where you get your podcasts. We also have our own website. You can follow up and learn a little bit more about Heidi because she's going to be connected to this show and hopefully future shows. And that is www.3copstalk.com. That's the number three copstalk.com. Thanks again, folks. Heidi, we can't thank you enough and hopefully have you back soon. You all be safe. Thank you so much.